0: Uh, I don't know about you, when I see a list of names in the Bible, I'm often tempted just to kind of speed read. Anybody else uh, guilty of this? It's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah names, 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 names. End. Good. Uh, I haven't really read that uh, very closely. I uh, actually remember one time many years ago uh, doing that in the Old Testament and really hearing a prompt from the Holy Spirit to go back, and it turned out it was the list of names of David's uh, mighty men. Uh, and there's Uriah's name right there, the man he's going to you know, ultimately get killed and take his wife, and he realize, oh, you, you read quick, Aaron, you missed that. This was a very special person to David. It's tempting to read past these names and think, ah, this stuff isn't important. After all, there's been all this deep theological stuff uh, thus far. How could it be that uh, this stuff is as important? And I wouldn't dare to say that the list of names is as important in these final greetings that Paul offers, but I want to zone in on them today anyway, because I kind of feel like we're probably full of theology. And maybe, just maybe, there's something in that final greetings that might be helpful for us. Uh, We we notice that there is a, a, a lot of people mentioned. It starts with mentioning Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church uh he commends her uh then the list goes on and and more people are named and i'm not going to go through all the names but partly i think the reason that we skip through the names often some of them are quite hard to say aren't they we read them like how do you say that one i don't know so we're just going to skip on figuring it's just too hard lots of names lots of things being commended meeting uh at their house the first convert to christ in the province mary who works hard There's another couple who've been helping Paul while he's in prison, outstanding among the apostles. And then a couple of people get this great commendation about being a dear friend, which we're going to pick up on today. That seems like such an interesting thing uh, to be listed for, simply friendship. Why would that make it into the Bible? Why do we care who Paul's friends are? But as we keep reading again, dear friend uh, makes into the list and lots of other people being commended for lots of things. It's kind of like a, a who's who of important people to Paul. It's tempting for us because we don't know them personally to skip by. Today, though, I want us to notice some of the things that these people are being commended for. There's a couple of ones get repeated. The dear friend gets repeated, and those who work hard in the Lord gets repeated and I want us to focus in on some of those. So many of them. My goodness, it's such a list. No wonder we skip through them, right? We're like, I don't know who a syncritus is. Why do I care? But they're all mention of a, you know importance to Paul. He wants everybody in that list to be noted for the contribution that they've made to him, the thing they've made to the church. They're important. I want to zone in on that list today and ask us the question, uh, What and who would be on our list if we were going to write our greetings, if we were going to make mention of special people, if we got to do the same thing, who would we talk about, who would we mention, who would be important to you and I? We can see Paul's long list of people that we don't know, but they're all pretty important to him. Well, some of the people who might be important might not even be people who are alive, might not even be people that you've even met for me and my family. Uh, one of the, the figures that kind of casts a shadow over our family and would have to be part of our sort of hall of fame and worthy of a mention is a young missionary named Samuel Ironside. I was uh, in Nelson last weekend speaking at uh, Grace Church in Richmond. And I was so touched that a man came up to me before the meeting and asked me what I knew of Samuel. Such was Samuel's legacy in the area. Uh, he's an interesting character. I've I, I read his biography and, and some funny things stand out. Uh, perhaps because I'm someone who spent a lot of time speaking in church, I kind of enjoyed the story when uh, in the early chapters it says that Samuel was asked to give a dedication to a new church building back in Scotland in the 1800s. And during this service in this brand-new church building they had these beautiful stained-glass windows, somebody pranked him and yelled fire at the top of their lungs, and people jumped out of the stained-glass windows. Now, this wasn't crazy enough. The next line said, this was the second time this had happened to Samuel. So someone was following him around and pranking him uh, as he spoke. He came to New Zealand, uh, and he signed the Treaty of Waitangi as uh, a witness to the treaty. Uh, he thought the treaty was really important. Uh, he um, set up a church called Ebenezer in Nga Tuka Bay uh, in near Nelson. Uh, and that congregation was 800 people back in the 1850s, most of whom were Māori. Uh, he dist- uh, distributed the Bible. Uh, I think he had about 400 Bibles in all, and, and the local people were so grateful. They brought 600 baskets of potatoes, and I've had trouble with carbs ever since. Uh, Indian corn pumpkins and seven good-sized pigs. What a great description uh, for his work in the area. It's really interesting because in my family, uh, in more recent generations, in my the Ironside family, there haven't really been many Christians. So he, there's this kind of strange figure who looms in the family story. You'd have to be in my sort of hall of uh, fame, my hall of faith, but if I bring that A bit closer to home to people who I've personally known and been impacted by. Well, the story gets a lot closer now. Anybody know what this is? Hmm? That's Cape Town. That's Table Mountain. Yeah. So uh, Table Mountain, Cape Town, the home of uh, my late father-in-law, John. uh, And John was the pastor of one of the very first mixed-race churches in the denomination, right? Louise, nod, smile. Yes, this is true. Uh, And John was a deep man of prayer. And so he would walk up uh, Table Mountain. He had a little area that he he liked to go and pray. Uh, And he called it Dove's Peak. It was a place where he would meet with the Holy Spirit. And, and John was not a man prone to having visions. You know, some people just seem to have a hotline to heaven, don't they? they? They have a vision every day of the week. John was not one of those sorts of people. And yet one of the occasions that he was up there praying, he suddenly saw a vision. And the vision was not of his home country of South Africa, but of New Zealand. And he saw a fire starting in New Zealand and shooting up out of New Zealand and then a cross forms this crossfire's vision would be so important to him that when the opportunity came to bring his family to pastor the Annisbrook church in Nelson and then the Marangi Bay Church of Christ here in Auckland he brought the entire family from South Africa John's definitely in my hall of fame my hall of faith and and he's actually in our churches because uh church northwest is kind of part of a of a family of churches really that was the family of churches that John belonged to. John was the one who brought out the American missionaries who formed Shore Community Church. It was the Taylor family who were part of the Myerung Bay Church of Christ when uh, John was the pastor there. Jody, if she would hear, would nod and smile because John took her through her baptism class before she was baptized. So she's part of this. He's part of this story. He's part of our story. He's in our hall of faith. But I want to focus today in on this particular commendation in Romans 16 about being a dear friend. Something you could read and you could think and you say, "That's how is that important? How, How could being a dear friend be so worthwhile that it makes it into the Bible? And how could it be that God might use being a dear friend to change somebody's life? Well, I want to tell you firstly about how dear friendship changed mine. Uh, This is my friend Siossi. On the day of his graduation, uh, he uh, late in life decided that he would train to be a lawyer. And uh, so he now works uh, on Waitangi-related issues as a lawyer. I met Siossi back in the late 1990s when we went to the Excel School of Performing Arts together. We were the most unlikely pair of friends. I mean, we weren't even in the same year together. We had a mutual friend named Mark who introduced us to each other. But suddenly, Suzy and I became the closest of friends. Suzy's story was amazing. If you've ever taught Sunday school, you'll want to hear Suzy's story. Suzy was a musician, is a musician, but at one time in his life, he wasn't following God and he was fully into his uh, music and he was into the drug life that went with it. One day he took some drugs that meant he was having the most awful drug trip of all. He said he could hear, literally it felt like thousands of voices saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. He was tormented by these voices. And then out of nowhere, he hears a verse that he's memorized in Sunday school as a child. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in the midst of the swirling of voices saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, he just cries out, Jesus! And all the voices stopped. So Siossi decided, Well, Jesus and me, we better be friends. And so Suisi and I, at this stage of of his life, we would spend literally sort of five to seven nights a week together, and and we had a little motto between us that Jesus is the reason for our friendship, and we would spend our time literally always in prayer and reading the Bible together, and that was such a deeply formational experience. I'd only been a Christian for about six months when I met Suisi. If I asked sort of who discipled me, Suisi and John Fulford discipled me. The other reason that I became a committed Christian, Seuss was hard case, man. He always carries a guitar with him. I remember one uh, boxing day, we went uh, to church together, and we didn't like the church service. And, and we sort of came out of the church service, and he's like, oh, that kind of wasn't enough. We should, we should maybe go down to Mission Bay, and we should uh, witness to some people. I'm like, okay, all right, fine, fine. So he had his his guitar and we went and sat down on a park bench and we just were singing some worship songs. And this old couple walked past and said, oh, you're singing to the Lord, are you? Like, yeah, 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 we are. And, And they were Christians from Invercargill. So I felt sort of encouraged that we'd done enough that day. Uh, you know, and and it was time for dinner. I could see all these restaurants. And and so we had agreed that we would get up and we would go and get some food. And we're walking towards the food. And Suzy spies this young woman walking her dog with a young friend. And before I know it, I hear him yell out, hey, you fellas heard about the Lord? Oh no, we were getting food. So he goes and plays the guitar and, and sings one of his worship songs that he's written to the girl, and I'm left talking to this guy. It was amazing. This young man uh, uh, was wearing a wrestling shirt, the Austin 316 shirt. If you know me, you know that pro wrestling has been a great passion of me and my family for a long, long time. So I knew exactly what Austin 316 meant. So I said to him, do you know what John 316 means? He said, no, I don't. And so then I witnessed to him, and I said, you know what, and this is, you know, this is what see." was like you know once you were in his presence you wanted to tell people about jesus so i said to this young man i said look hey before i go is there any reason why you shouldn't give your heart to jesus right now he said not that i can think of and right there standing in the park in mission bay on boxing day he gives his heart to the lord that's the power of siossi's friendship i'm going to tell you in a few weeks time about a really dark period of my life where uh, i had a year of unemployment and I'll, i'll tell you more about that in a few weeks time and during that year Yossi reappeared. We'd kind of lost touch with each other in various ways over the years, but he reappeared during that year. And he was a great strength to me. One of the things during that year, he kept saying, Would I like to meet and get to know my cousin, David? Now, David and I are second cousins. So there's the chart if you're uh, trying to work out second cousins. Our grandmothers were sisters. In fact, actually, his grandmother was much more like my grandmother because my own died when I was quite young, and his grandmother took a place. But I didn't really know David. He was a couple of years younger, a much quieter kid. We never really saw much of each other growing up, and I didn't know David. We had been in church together, actually. It was much to my embarrassment uh, in our 20s, and I didn't even take the time then to get to know him. It was just kind of like one of those weird things like, oh, there's your cousin Dave. Hi, Dave. And that was that. And so he said, look, David's marriage is breaking up. He really needs some support right now. It's like, yeah, but I'm unemployed. I really need some support right now. I don't want to get to know David like this. I don't feel like I could bring anything to the table. I felt like a shell of myself. So I avoided getting to know David. Uh, and then one day, so you'll see who is uh, tenacious, who's completely ignoring my lack of interest about getting to know Dave, then just texts me and says, bro, David's coming over for a cup of tea uh, tonight. You should come. Well, it just so happened, and I don't know why it worked out this way. I can't think of any other day like it. But Debbie was at a a training for children's ministry in the city that day, that Saturday. And we had a gender reveal party out in South Auckland to go to uh, for a friend of ours who was pregnant. So I had agreed that I would go and park my car fairly near Sioux's because it turned out this training was quite near Sioux's house. And then we went on, and then I came back, of course, to get my car. Well, I thought I'd call in see David. I was filled with uh, a really weird mix of regret and uh, and delight in the same moment. It turned out that Dave had been a pastor at a church, trained as a counsellor, done the sorts of things I do. And as soon as he began to talk, I loved him instantly. So I had this really weird regret, like, oh man. I'm meeting him in my 40s. We've missed out on all of this time together. But I'm delighted by him. I want to be friends with him now. Now He's still feeling like he's a shell of himself. His marriage has ended. He's very confused about what has happened in his life. So I reach out to him. say, would you like to become friends? So we start hanging out together. Dave would say, I don't know why you want to hang out with me. I'm not very good company. I'm not really myself. I'm nothing like myself. I said, that's okay. said, you make everything better. Just for being here. So we continued this friendship. And then later that year, it was time for U2 to have a concert. And Dave is one of the great U2 fans. I mean, when he says he owns every book and every CD, he really does. And so when it came time uh, for the concert, I thought, oh, what could I do to help Dave know that I really see him? And I decided I would get this T-shirt made with his name on it. And I rang Seussi. And I said, Seussi, I'm not sure... Do I put Dave on the t shirt or do I put Hinch? You see, Dave used to run a soup kitchen called The Gap when he was in his 20s for the streeties of the central city. And he used to be called Hinch because lots of Daves in the world, but he's David Hinchko. So he's Hinch to distinguish him from other Daves. So Hinch it was. And so we presented him with this t shirt. And I I really want you to look uh, in his eyes this day. He's still in a lot of pain in this story. But for the first time in a long time, somebody sees him as Hinch. Somebody sees him as that valuable person. The other thing you need to know about Dave is that he loves comics. He loves them. He's been a comic fan since the day he laid eyes on them. Comics saved his life, actually. When he was 14, he decided he was going to kill himself, and so he went into the city intending to commit suicide. And he had on his person a copy of the Daredevil comic, which he had not yet read, and thought, well, the last thing he'll do is read a comic before he does it. So he sat in Myers Park, and he read the issue of Daredevil, where Daredevil becomes a Christian. Have you even ever heard of this? A comic book character becomes a Christian? And Dave figures if it's good enough for Daredevil, it's good enough for him but he had this weird relationship with comics. Like, his parents, particularly his dad, didn't understand. You know, many of us have probably be tempted to think that, you know, particularly once you're a certain age, you know, this is ridiculous. But even as a teenager, Dave worked a summer for his dad uh, and saved up money, and he had this a collection, this book in mind that he was going to spend the money from the summer a part-time work on, and he saves enough money, and he went and got this book, and he was proud as punch, and he's coming home, and he's showing Dad, he's like, Dad, I've, I've got the book that I've been saving up for. Well, his dad took one look at the book and said, what a waste of money, and threw it against the wall. So Dave has an awkward relationship with comics. They're his great love, but they also kind of this message of, you know, you waste your time, you waste your... When Dave's Marriage broke down. Sadly, when marriages break down, it often brings out the worst in us. And his wife decided as part of the worst of this that she wouldn't let him have half of the collections. She would split the stories in half. So if a story had ten issues, he'd be allowed to have five of them. Rendering his lifelong collection useless to him. So there he is in his house, sitting surrounded by this broken collection of comics, a reminder that his life is broken, his marriage is broken, his life is broken, he wastes his time still, it would seem, on these comics. Then during the lockdown, one of the many, I forget which one, uh, over a year ago, he texts me and says, I think my wife is selling the rest of the comics. And, and uh, some guy, it seemed, had agreed to sell them. Yeah, he knew more about them, so he agreed to sell this collection. And sure enough, it was the collection. And so I said, well, okay, which ones would be the most important ones for you to get back? He says, oh, there's no point doing that. Why, why would you bother doing that? I'll, I'll tell you maybe there's five of them I like. That, no, 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 that's not what I asked. I got the full list from the man who was selling them. and said, I want you to prioritize all of them. And Dave's like, what a waste of time. He said, look, it's locked down. Have some fun. Just do it. Meantime, I got tricky. I thought, okay, what am I going to do? So I trolled his Facebook page and I worked out who were friends but not friends with the wife. And so I messaged all of them and said, Dave has a chance to get the the comic book collection back. And then I even posted and blocked Dave from seeing it on my own page that we were going to try and get the comics back. In three days we raised three and a half thousand dollars. Our church was one of the Hinch's heroes. We dubbed them. Our church gave some money to that. Dave's dad gave some money to that. Dave's mother-in-law gave some money to that. <laughs> <laughs> At one point I thought I better confess, I better tell the guy who's selling the comics what's happening. I said, dude, You represent the wife, I represent the husband. He says, that woman's given me nothing but trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And so he agrees that he is going to try and work out how to sell the comics back to us at the lowest possible price that will appease her and he can get the comics back. So we deliver the comics. Debbie and I go over a carload, a mountain of comics. I've told Dave I'm bringing some comics. When he sees the comics, he breaks down And he sat there and he wept and he said, in this moment, the pain just fell away. And in this moment, a story that he had entertained was forever broken. I visited Dave last night and he reminded me again. He said, Aaron, when I look around the room now, all I see is love. You see, he had believed that he had lost everything and that the comics represented his broken life, forever broken. And now, this comic collection that for you and I are like, really, this makes a big difference, has completely changed his world because now he can't hold on to the painful story anymore. He says, I know I'm loved, that book says so. So last year, I said, Dave, it's time to get back on the horse, isn't it? Why don't you get back and and start doing some counselling? So he started to do some counselling with me. Uh, I really loved it. He he says to me, You know, I didn't want to tell people I'm a counselor because I just, you know, don't feel like I've, you know, can wear that badge yet. But but he started doing it. Then this year, it turned out that one of the um, spaces on my team at the port of chaplains became available the weekend job. And so I encouraged him to apply. And a month ago, He started as the chaplain, that's where he is today. I want you to look into his eyes. Do you remember the pain in the last photo? Can you see it's gone? It went because of friendship. He's back being Hinch. He's back doing what he's meant to be doing, living the life that God has called him to live because of a dear friend. But I don't think it's me. I think Siosi's getting the credit here. Because Siossi cared for me so that I could have something in turn to care for David. And guess what? This week, David is now flying to Gisborne to catch up with Siossi and to meet up with a dear friend who he hasn't seen. And so that ripple of the dear friend continues. The Apostle Paul wasn't just being polite when he wrote these commendations. We don't know those people who he's mentioned at the end of Romans, but he does. And I bet you he's thinking about them the way I think about C. the way I think about Dave. And it's probably a dear friend who's going to be the reason that you stay with Jesus than a theological treatise of some kind. It's friends who hold us close. So for you, I wonder, if you were to have a friendship that was transformational for you and for somebody else, who would it be with? Who would you want to form that kind of friendship with? Who is already in your world that it's worthy acknowledging the power of that friendship, but realizing that you and I have opportunity? Often you get to a certain stage of life and you think, well, it's too late now. Can't make new friends now. I'm in the 40s. Well, Dave and I have only been friends for four years. But what a four years it's been. Maybe, just maybe, there's someone in your world who's waiting for you to extend the hand of friendship. To see them. You see, that was the only thing I had. I realized early on that I couldn't use my counselling skills with Dave. He was immune to my powers. He was a fellow Jedi, so he knew these he knew what I was trying. But he wasn't immune to love, and my only real gift to him was that I could see him. I could see Hinch before he could see him, but now he sees Hinch, and he feels like himself again. And now he walks. And he tells me that, you know, to my embarrassment, last night he tells me, "Oh, I sit in the chapel at the centre and I pray for an hour before I visit the ships." So I'm like, "What do you?" <laughs> it's a deep outworking of his faith. And he says it brings him great joy to tell others now that he spends his day doing a mix of counselling and chaplaincy. He's being hench again.